And in this portion of WGTD's morning show, we delve into the universe of Marvel Comics, and specifically into the lives of two very intriguing characters, Gamora and Nebula, both adopted daughters of one of the fiercest of all supervillains, Thanos, and their story told in a really incredible new novel intended primarily for young readers, but one which I thoroughly enjoyed myself. The novel titled Gamora and Nebula, Sisters in Arms, and the author, the very gifted writer, Mackenzie Lee. As someone who is 61 years old but has uh, been interested in comic books most of his life, one of the things that has been a distinct impression to me is that there are very, very few women who have been part of uh, either the DC or Marvel universes with all of their heroes and, and villains. I suspect that it is not quite as male-dominated as it once was, but is that still the case? And what does it feel like to be uh, a woman writing uh, in this particular culture? I mean, you're you're right that men still definitely outnumber women, um, but it's getting better. And uh, there's a lot of really incredible women who are working in, in comics and in Marvel today, and I'm, I'm so lucky to be among them. One of my favorite professional experiences I've, I've ever been part of was at Comic-Con a couple of years ago. I got to be on a, a panel called Women of Marvel, which is the sort of thing that if I had seen it as a, as a kid would have just blown my mind. Um, because I was, I was a big nerd as a kid, and I remember seeing things. I wasn't, I wasn't a comic book nerd only because I didn't know how to be, um, but I so desperately was seeking women's stories in, these, in these, these nerdy things that I loved and not finding them. And so I think it's, I think it's gotten better, and it's a, it's a tremendous honor to be, and that sounds so cheesy, but it really is to be one of those women and hopefully to be, to be paving a way for, for people like I was when I was younger. The book we're talking about today, uh, Gamora and Nebula, Sisters in Arms, uh, allows you to uh, write a novel, uh, an amazing novel, which uh, I noticed is very, very hop- uh, heavily populated by female characters. In fact, nearly every significant character in this book, not quite all, but the vast majority, uh, are female. Was that your intention right from the start? And what guided you uh, into that particular choice? I assume it was your choice. It was my choice, and it, it was something that I sort of fell into during the drafting process. I've never written a – this is my first, like, true science fiction novel. Everything I've done before has, uh, has been primarily historical fiction or had really strong roots in historical fiction. And so I, I realized with this one, I was drafting on kind of ideas about the American West as inspiration for the world – but I, I could make things up for the first time in my work. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have to adhere to, to research and historical documents. And so I started to kind of question everything and question everything I would take for granted about building a world. And part of that was I started to realize that in my brain, and I think this is just the way we're, we're trained, especially, especially women and especially in these comic book and, and, uh, sort of sci-fi spaces is we just auto-populate with men. Um, and I realized when I was writing a crowd scene, my brain would just sort of fill it in with men. When I was writing bartenders and guards and just these sort of background characters, I would automatically fill them in as men. So for me, it started as kind of a challenge to myself to 
to talk back to my own internalized misogyny and my own internalized ideas about what a science fiction world should look like and who should populate it. And then from there, it became it became a, a part of the world. It became a foundation of the world. And I really, I mean, I obviously really love stories about strong women and, and both physically and, and mentally and emotionally strong. But I especially love stories about women where the fact that they are women is never commented upon. Um, Gamora and Nebula are not strong female assassins. They are just strong assassins. They are, they are feared because of, because of their skills, not in spite of their gender. Um, and so the best way to, to create a, a foundation for that where it would never, be, never had to be commented upon was to just even the playing field and, and make the entire cast women other than the few uh, canonically male Marvel characters to appear. Right. And I really appreciated that. I mean, I knew it was going to be a strong female tale in the sense that the, the two main characters, of course, uh, are, are, are female. But the fact that every guard in the prison is female and and uh, every uh, every hooded figure in, in the sort of the mystical church that's part of this story are also female. I mean, uh, it was refreshing, and I so appreciated that. And, and if I found it, appreciate, uh, uh, found it refreshing as a 61-year-old male, I, I can't imagine how exciting it would be for a, for a, uh, for, for a young female reader to, uh, to read a book like this and to explore a world like this. Um, what kind I of, hope so. I know my, myself as a young female reader would have been thrilled that I didn't have just one woman out of 15 characters to, to pick as my favorite. I would have had a whole plethora of choices. Right. So what kind of freedom are you given, that is creative freedom, as someone writing a book about uh, two characters that have been around for decades in the Marvel Universe? Uh, what kind of restrictions are, are placed upon you uh, in writing this brand new book, Gamora and Nebula? You know, I went into this contract with Marvel sort of expecting they would give me, they would say, okay, here's the story, now write the story, and was so delighted to find how collaborative they wanted to be and how much they wanted me to, that they were hiring me for my voice and my expertise. And I think that's one of the great things about how Marvel has diversified across so many formats that you now have prose novels, you have comic books, you have movies, you have TV shows, you have video games. And so they're bringing in all these different creators and letting us, letting us bring our voice, letting us bring our knowledge and our expertise. Like they are hiring us not just to produce their content, but to put our own spin on it. Um, so for me, the, the process was very collaborative in a way that I didn't expect. Um, I sort of came to the table saying, you know, we'd already we'd already talked about these were the characters we were going to do. So I came into sort of the pitch meeting saying, I want to do a space western. I want to talk about, I want to write about strip mining. I want to write about this sort of like myth of the American West and how people have to be exploited in order for this myth to to survive. I want to write about these these women uh, learning to trust each other, learning to question their rivalry, and learning to sort of recognize their abuse and trauma that has been inflicted on them for their entire lives. I want to write about this sort of like big trucks and deep tunnels and things like that. And was so thrilled that the Marvel, the Marvel team came back and they were like, we love this. Why don't you also throw in this? Why don't you do this? Have you read this comic book? And so it's, it's sort of just like having a bunch of smart people in the room who are giving you more ideas. And then you have sort of an extension of that in that you have all these comic books and you have all these other stories and other voices that you can, you can pull from and draft on, uh, but aren't, 
aren't necessarily, you know, I, I never felt like I was a slave to the canon. I always felt like I was, I was expanding it and, and getting to, to tell a story within it, which was so fun and exciting. That is exciting and, and exciting for us to read. Of course, at the heart of this book are these two adopted daughters of the fierce uh, figure of, of Thanos, Gamora and Nebula, and their relationship is fraught with all kinds of tension and rivalry. And I should think that relationship in and of itself was such fertile ground for you as an author. Yes, and the fact that most people most people know them from the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Um, that's sort of their most current and well-known iteration. And so we see them in those films as sort of, they're, we know they're rivals, but they're starting to sort of recognize that there's been emotional manipulation here and that their their rivalry is not something that happened because because they had any choice in it. They were sort of told their whole lives, like, okay, you're rivals, you don't like each other. If one of you succeeds, the other fails, you have to stop the other from succeeding. And they were sort of used as as counterpoints or counterbalances to each other to to make the other one stronger and tougher and want to work harder. And so it was fun to take that sort of point we see them at in the movies where they're they're starting to take more active steps towards making peace and reconciliation and, and teaming up and kind of work backward and say, so where did that start? And where did they start to recognize that they've been pitted against each other their whole lives and they've been told a lot of things that aren't true and they've grown up in this environment of trauma and manipulation and, and how do we fight back against that? And it's a, it's a volatile place for them. It's not something they figure out by the end of the book. It's not something uh, I think they figure out by the end of the films. Like we still haven't seen them figure it out or navigate it successfully, but it, but it was a, man, it's, it's an emotional goldmine. It was so much fun to, to <laughs> that sounds terribly like it was so much fun to mine the depths of trauma and abuse, but it really like there's, there's so much there and there was so much sort of tenderness and love that they sort of don't know that they have for each other yet, which is a lovely thing to get to write about. And not so lovely is the planet on which most of this action takes place. And one of the refrains is, don't drink the water. One of the first things we experience (laughs) is that the artificial atmosphere is stale. One statement about this planet, this place was once green. I suspect at the heart of the way you describe this planet is uh, a, a way for young readers to think about the planet on which we live. Yeah, so I, I drew a lot of exper- or drew a lot of inspiration from the American West uh, for this setting. I wanted to write a space western. Um, I grew up in in Utah, and so I spent a lot of time down in the Red Rock in southern Utah with ranches and ghost towns and and mines. And for a long time, was sort of exposed to that myth of the American cowboy and manifest destiny and and pioneer settlers and things like that. And then over time, started to realize how false that idea is and how many people have to be exploited and how much the land has to be stolen and exploited and ruined in order for this sort of myth to to be perpetuated. And so it was definitely something that was in the back of my mind. It's something I've seen happen in my own in my own community. We see it constantly happening around the world and and I don't know if it's a it's a direct warning, but I hope that that people think a little bit more about uh, environmentalism and conscious consumerism after the book. Mackenzie Lee's novel for young readers is titled Gamora and Nebula, Sisters in Arms, published by Marvel Comics. I'm Gregory Berg.